Welcome to the next Hear and Obey episode of our podcast, Make and Multiply. Uh, In these episodes, we are reading and discussing the text of Scripture that was preached. For us, as we're recording this, it's the day before. So it's Monday afternoon. This is the text preached yesterday, Sunday morning. Uh, I'm Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, here with Matt Grun, one of our pastoral residents. And we are in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. And before I read this, just a quick comment. Uh, A couple questions that have been really useful for me in approaching scripture, reading it, studying it, preaching it. Um, Two simple questions. One, just knowing every text of scripture is primarily and ultimately revealing something about God. Mm -hmm. It is all theological. So it's, it's not a list of you know, how-tos or to-dos or all those other things. Uh, it's primarily revealing God to us. And so any text of scripture, we can be asking, what does this reveal about God? Who is he? What's his character? What are his ways? And then the second question is the application. What is the appropriate faith response to that? And I love that wording because the only way to respond to God is by faith. Um, but it, it leaves us in a position where we are seeing and beholding God and that's what transforms us. Mm-hmm. When we behold him for who he is, we trust him. And, and so th- that's, you know, when we talk about hear and obey, we want to be hearers of the word as well as doers of the word. We're just asking, what does this say about God? And, and how should we respond in faith to that truth about God? So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll bring questions like that with us as we come to Exodus 2. This is the word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Mm -hmm. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Mm -hmm. Lord, we pray you'd speak to us through your word again as we um, just set our hearts and minds under it one more time. Mm -hmm. And do so with a view to be transformed, to be affected by what you reveal about yourself here in this episode in Exodus 2, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, observations. Oh, man. Stands out. This is, it's just so, there's a lot. (laughs) Uh, You know, if if we take it, you take that heading out, the chapter break out, um, and you just, you know, in narrative, as we're observing, I'm looking for key words like now mm. or then, these kind of like scene change words. And if, right before, in the end of chapter one, there's this, you know, the victory of the midwives, the victory of the triumph over the Pharaoh's attempt to murder the children. And mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> they're rewarded with families, you know, and just feel like at the end of the scene, okay, that's where it should close. And then you have this transition verse, verse one, or chapter one twenty two. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people. So then, mm-hmm. uh, scene change. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile, but the but you shall let every daughter live. That just ends with this ominous tone, mm-hmm. and into that we get this word now, mm-hmm. um, and then. The wor- like I think Greg was exactly right. The worst case scenario, given that verse, is now this Hebrew couple gives birth to a son, um, which is a death sentence. Um, mm-hmm. Which is just it, it just it has all that carryover of the darkened scene before carries out, and you just see God working providentially. And mm-hmm. like I think what Greg drew our attention to yesterday was is just you just pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Why is nobody named? You're just yeah. this nameless. Mm-hmm. We never, so we never find out who Pharaoh is. He just always keeps calling Pharaoh throughout the whole thing. Um, you have this uh, this man from the house of Levi, this woman, this his, took his wife and the daughter and the sister and the child, and you have all these just you know generic <laughs> characters, indistinct characters that don't have any sort of name until you come to verse. 11, or excuse me, verse 10, mm-hmm. uh, his, she named him Moses. Yep. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so, it's just, what, what is that trying to, like you said, when we think about it, what, what is that, those details mm-hmm. reveal about God in, in this text? I think it's trying to get to, even in the specificity, I think it's also getting to the, the generic sense of we can find ourselves in, this is God's providential work throughout this whole narrative mm-hmm. is not just true in that this particular scene. Yeah. I think the broader thing is this is true in my life. Mm-hmm. The, I think I'm back on my life and the providential things that God has worked even you know, generations before to bring me to be born to my parents and mm-hmm. my time and my in Sioux Falls, South Dakota and you know all the pieces that have brought me to here right now. Um, yeah, I, I can identify myself in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, early think, observations. I think the lack of names is even more striking after chapter one, where Hebrew midwives they are named. Right. You think of all the characters in the Bible. Um, it, it's interesting when you know whose names are mentioned and whose aren't. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that yeah, this this man from the house of Levi is just a man from mm-hmm. the house of Levi after. Um, those midwives were named. So it's one of those observations where you're noticing a a striking silence or lack Mm -hmm. of a detail. But I think dramatically uh, that's powerful Mm -hmm. because it really focuses you on the action. When an author starts something, one way to start a story is to name your characters, describe them in a lot of detail, go into all their backstory. But if your focus is on their actions then you just start with what's happening. Right. And, and that's a powerful way. A lot of movies start that way. It just drops into some intense scene, and you have no idea who's <laughs> even doing the acting. You're just seeing the action happen. And that's yes. kind of how chapter two, you just drop in, and it's just action. Yes. Something's happening. Dramatic things are happening. And and that's where our attention is drawn, to those actions. And then, <clears throat> and then when names are given, they matter. Like uh, when I was studying the chapter before with the Hebrew midwives, their, their names... Um, let me find them again. Pua and Shifra. Mm. Th- those names are Hebrew names that mean things like I think the I'm trying to remember, but it's like beautiful mm. or 
lovely. Mm-hmm. Like they they are they are that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when the usage of names throughout the Bible is, it, it is a descriptor of who the people are. It's not just hey, this is what your mom calls you. <laughs> there's there's a there's a essence, almost an ontology mixed in with the naming mm-hmm. being with who they are. And so that's why when you, why it's so powerful when you get to number or, uh, verse ten, the name of Moses and then what it means. Mm. There's this yeah. linking of not only who he is, but what he's going to do, mm-hmm. and what not mm-hmm. only what's happened to him, mm-hmm. what he will do yeah. in the future. Yeah, drew him out of the waters. That's gonna. There's more meaning to that. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. What, let me ask you this: What did you think of? Why do you think Moses included born a man from the house of Levi? Because mm. Greg mentioned, and I think this is right, that to clarify that this is a Hebrew mm. child, not right. which matters because the edict was kill all the Hebrew baby boys. Exactly. So just to be clear, this is a Hebrew family. That's right. That infanticidal edict applies to them. Yeah. Because when I read that, I think I think that's exactly right in its immediate context, but. You know, again, having read chapter one one now, we there's still this carryover back to the garden, back to Genesis one and two and three. And to me, when I hear the man from the house of Levi, giving what was studied in in the the war that's now opened up between Pharaoh representing the serpent mm-hmm. and God's people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you follow Genesis all the way back, that remember that there will be one from the woman who will crush the head of the snake mm-hmm. and he will come from her. And then that promise is then starts, it starts so general because it's Adam and Eve and everybody comes from them. Mm-hmm. But then it begins to focus in, in, uh, in Noah and then in Abraham. Uh, yeah, in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons. Well, which of those? Judah, the mm-hmm. Genesis 49, the scepter will not part from Judah. Mm-hmm. So I think in some ways Moses is, God through Moses is identifying this isn't the snake crusher. Even though he's a, everything he's about to do, everything that's about to unfold in this epic isn't the final victory. Mm-hmm. There's it's still pointing to someone who's still to come. Now, as we know throughout history, that David shows up. Yeah. Oh, great. He's from Judah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Second Samuel seven will tell us that covenant gets expanded even further. That no, not you, David, because Psalm one ten, my Lord said to my Lord, there's a greater David coming. So, I, you know, I just. I yeah. can't help but read in the Old Testament narrative like this those those through lines of the of the lineage mm. of getting to Jesus that even somebody as great as Moses who is the paradigm of the of the prophetic role mm. in the Old Testament the priestly prophetic role um, it's not him yet we're yeah. not we haven't arrived yet yeah um, but he's about to do great things and and the audience receiving this would have already um, been familiar with Levites serving in a priestly role. Correct. Because the tabernacle was built mm-hmm. in Moses' day. Aaron and his sons, Aaron's Moses' brother yeah. of the tribe of Levi, God singles out the Levites to be priests and to yeah. minister in the tabernacle and handle all of those things. So, um, yeah, so it, it does, in a you know, looking ahead kind of way, identify him in a priestly role, mm-hmm. but not necessarily a kingly, right ruling way, right? Yeah, yeah. But in the immediate context, yeah, also um, heightens the the danger, mm-hmm. um, really the the impossibility of escape for this child. 
the situation is dire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As Greg said in his uh, kind of his summary statement, certain destruction, certain destruction. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought his statement that he um, used to sum up the main point, and, and he repeated several times, was was helpful. That God uses the faithful efforts of His humble servants to save His people from certain destruction. Mm. And you know, we get that idea of God's humble servants through that lack of no names are mentioned. <laughs> um, you know, attention is not drawn to them in particular, their identity, but their their faithful actions, mm-hmm. the steps that they're taking by faith in incredibly dark times. And it, it's you know, just in general, anytime we're dealing with a narrative passage, one way that's so powerful to enter a text is to put yourself in the shoes of those characters, yeah. try to imagine that scene. And um, it, it, it really is breathtakingly horrible oh. to imagine. Um, imagine just having conversations at a time, finding oh. out she's pregnant. The conversations that would play out of what are we going to like? And, and, you know, obviously there's no ultrasound. There's no let's check early. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way to prepare. Yeah. It's just you just there's just tension. There's just anxiety. There's fear, which are all things that we all deal with oh, every yeah. day. And I mean, I, you know, I've been in I've gotten, I've received, you know, I'm, you can relate, but received and sat in, you know, hospitals where mm-hmm. you receive news that results are inconclusive mm-hmm. or you need further testing or just like that anxiety that we're all prone to. Just mm-hmm. imagine they're, they find out she's pregnant. They know the edict mm-hmm. from Pharaoh. There's no like, well, at least... <laughs> Initially, there's the thought of there's just no escaping right. what's going to happen and how do we yeah, deal with it's it. It's not like you can hide a pregnancy. Right. Um, and, and so if your slave masters know you're pregnant, mm-hmm. know a baby's coming. They're watching. You can't hide that. You can't hide a baby, mm-hmm. um, the, the crying and the noise. So it, it just it's so hopeless mm-hmm. looking at first. Um, and, and then you have this line... Um, when she could, oh no, verse verse two, when she saw that he was a fine child. Yeah. Um, Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith refers to that description. Mm. Um, I'll run to the New Testament quick. <laughs> By faith, Moses, 23. when he was born, hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. So mm-hmm. it's stated in the, in the New Testament. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Yeah. What, what declaration? What, what do you mean they weren't afraid? <laughs> yeah. They, they saw he was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They, and that's commentary. They that's commentary, inspired yeah. commentary that's linking to the same thing mentioned about the Hebrew wives mm-hmm. or the Hebrew midwives. That because So it, it gives us an in, inclination and kind of a window mm-hmm. into their psyche, if you will, into their, how they were processing the information that we fear God greater than we fear this King's yeah. edict. Yeah. And that, that's what links those things together and links them together as faithful people. Yeah. And it's such a helpful light that's shed, you know, it's implied in Exodus and then it's confirmed <coughs> explicitly there in Hebrews 11. Mm. Moses' parents lived by faith, because it says in Hebrews 11, by faith, mm-hmm. Moses' parents hid him for three months. Mm-hmm. Why did they hide him? Because they trusted God. Um, and they didn't fear Pharaoh, so they, they obviously feared God. Uh, and I just thought, you know, Greg helpfully pointed out, 
it's the same word here in Exodus 2. So many connections in Exodus yeah. 1 and 2 to Genesis 1 and 2. Um, when God looked at his creation and he saw that it was good. Yes. So it's not just they thought their own baby was cute, as <laughs> most parents are you know, prone to do. No, they... they it, it was an approval that mm. this is God's doing, which again, you know, in pregnancy, childbirth, so many parents go through that. Like, oh, this was not our timing, or this is not a great time in life for us, yeah. or, or what, what about all of these unknown things? Um, but to see it from God's perspective, no, this, this is a good thing in the sight of God. A child is a blessing from God. And so they align their assessment of their situation with God's, not with their own. Mm. Yeah, the, I'm just look. I just quickly looked up the lexical form of that that adjective for for beautiful, and it's you know another another gloss, another translation is handsome, mm-hmm. M- meaning, in you know, and here it's saying well bred, um, but meaning he God considers him a ref, like uh, sees him. It's not just the parents; it's God sees him as he's uh, the word here refined status. <laughs> uh, a, a perspective leader. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there, there's there's divine approval going on. Yeah. Not just oh, this look at our cute kid. We can't throw him in the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a waste. <laughs> no, there's there's but but by faith, the parent the parents are seen are are seen opening up their lenses mm-hmm. and seeing that something greater is going on here. And they they simply are just trying to live faithfully. They're just trying to live as as any parent would in that yeah. situation. Yeah, I think yeah, another observation here. Um, it is remarkable that once again Pharaoh is thwarted by women. Yeah. The, these two midwives in chapter one, and then here it's kind of you know conspiring against him, his own daughter, yeah. as well as this slave woman and her young daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, the echoes to Genesis, where you have God when he deals with the serpent, God giving this a, to the serpent, it's a curse, but it's a promise. Um, to Adam and Eve when God says that there's going to be a descendant of the woman who crushes the head Mm -hmm. of the serpent. And then it's after that, after Adam and Eve have been sentenced to die Mm -hmm. from the dust you were made to dust you will return, it's after that that Adam first calls his wife Eve or life giver. The mother of all living. The mother of all the living. Yes. Um, And and so that theme of motherhood Mm -hmm. is strong in the beginning of Genesis. It's strong here. It runs all the way through Scripture. Mm -hmm. Mothers... um, giving birth to deliverers who would grow up to deliver the people of God. Mm-hmm. And it's not just once or twice, but it's again and mm-hmm. again and again, all these examples that, that pile up. So that's powerful here, mm-hmm. echoing. Yeah, great. That w- that's just that's just helpful to see. Um, but I think Greg also couched that well, that this, there's certainly no like feminist agenda happening mm-hmm. here. There's no, all right, Let's go. <laughs> there is a couching of, of a reality of God using God-given and creation roles in order to bring about His purposes. And really, you know, in the in the story, be, part of the reason of the irony that's happening is because it's women in this in this system that have or that are overthrowing even the king himself. Yeah, um, that heightens. But in order to have that irony. There has to be some constants and some yeah. creation realities. Yeah, the, the, these are women 
acting as women. That's right. Not women who are throwing off their God-given femininity. And yeah, nobody's picking up the sword. Nobody. God-given <laughs> motherhood. Right. Motherhood is such a powerful thing. And, and I think it's telling that um, in this case and in many other examples in history, what do oppressive tyrants do? They attack the family. Mm-hmm. The family is instituted by God. When God joins Adam and Eve together and blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply, that is God's design. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh opposes that. Lest they multiply. Lest yeah. they multiply. Yes. Directly opposes that, is killing children. And so that's telling, it should be revealing to us when we live in a day and age where people are attacking fatherhood and motherhood and God-given mm. um, you know, gender um, the meaning of gender, the the responsibilities of male and female, the duties that God has given to men and women, to fathers and mothers that are different yeah. and complementary. Um, whenever we see the family attacked, we mm. should think, what is the serpent so afraid of? Yeah. And this just came to mind as you were describing that, you know, considering considering if you if you take one in chapter one through two ten here as as a single unit or you know flowing from one to the other, what was the curse that God gave? To Adam and Eve, work will be difficult, mm-hmm. childbearing will be difficult, mm. and your husband will rule over you. Those were the curses that were laid down, and the serpent is now exploiting those in the most powerful way possible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to enslave you and make your, your work brutal and ruthless, and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm going to start killing your kids. Mm-hmm. There's just this, again, the warfare is just, this hostility is increasing and increasing. It just keeps looking bleaker and bleaker and bleaker. And then out of that, mm-hmm. because of the faith of these people, because of the faith of these women, to just acknowledge into exactly how you said, by acting as women, the powerful thing that that is, we have now have a we have this boy who is saved. Who and it's just you just see the pro, like all the attempts of 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 it's like when I, it's like when you and I play chess. Every time I try and move in positions, you've got your eye over the whole thing, and you know, oh yeah, you keep trying. Okay, check me. Uh, it's exactly that. It's mm-hmm. God stands over it mm-hmm. and is slowly bringing about His purposes, but He does it through faithful, simple, yeah. humble acts of of His people. Yeah, fairly ordinary. I, I was thinking, if you were a slave in Egypt. Um, you know, what, what would be all the thoughts that go through your mind about how you could get out, how you could overthrow Pharaoh, mm-hmm. how you could rebel? You know, I'm sure people had thoughts of assassination mm-hmm. attempts and just running in the night and mm-hmm. whatever else. Would it have crossed anybody's mind the way forward is raise a family, have a child? <laughs> <laughs> that you, you, how could it? Wow. You know, only, only in God's providence and God's wisdom, is that going to be the answer? He's mm-hmm. going to preserve the life of a child, and that child is going to grow up to be a deliverer for his mm-hmm. people. God's going to use that child. But it just, it, it's such a humble, simple, even um, contradictory thing. It'd be easy, yeah. to, I bet their neighbors, to say something like, what were you guys thinking? Why, why are you having a child yeah. <laughs> right now, th- this day and age? Mm-hmm. Although we see in chapter one, it, it was during this time, we talked about this last week, yeah. God gave the midwives, families, there's in an outbreak. In spite of all of the <laughs> yes. threats of murder of the babies, they still continued to multiply. Yeah. So apparently those threats were ineffective and people were just, they kept on keeping on. Yeah, you, t- you tie this connection to Acts 5 into the oppression that falls, well not Acts 5, Acts 8, and the oppression that falls on the church in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That same question could be posed to the brother of, the you know, the family of Stephen and the friends of Stephen of like, 
watching him be murdered, and then all of a sudden Saul stands over approvingly, and now he's ravaging the church. The language there is by is hostile. I mean, the question could be asked to like, why? Are you, well, let's just let's let's lay low a little while. Let's let's yeah. let's ride this thing out. But immediately the next chapter is, oh, Philip was whisked off to Samaria and started yeah. proclaiming the gospel Preaching. there. Yeah. And you see, you just see again and again when God means to use persecution, hostility against his people twofold to, to keep them distinct and separate and to prosper them yeah. and to benefit them and to bring about an even greater story. Yeah. Um, man, that's, that that's, inc- that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's so encouraging to us mm-hmm. as we live in what feels like a, <laughs> a desolate mm-hmm. uh, environment for Christians that, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm at work and when HR calls me into the office and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that God is, is not abandoned us. Right. This isn't outside of the scope of his of yeah. his purview. Yeah. Greg said something yesterday along the lines of um, this is my my paraphrase, respect for God is the only thing that will sustain us in the face of darkness. Mm. Uh, and he just talked about acknowledging what we all know. These are dark times, yeah. crazy stuff going on in, in the culture around us. Um, it's very clear that the culture is hostile to orthodox historic Christian faith. Um and yet, what we see here, people who trust God and fear God, mm. faith and and reverence for God, mm-hmm. um, that's what produces this courage. And and then that that doesn't just you know, fire us up to give us a lot of boldness or self confidence that's rooted in us. It's, right. it's confidence in look at how God is faithfully working mm. in ways way beyond their control. Yeah. You know, for, for Moses' mother to just stick him in a basket, mm. the, now things are. Completely out of her control. She yes, has, she has no. She can't guarantee. This is you know. I want my child to grow up and go to Harvard and have a <laughs> successful job. And you know, step one, put him in a basket and leave him. <laughs> yes, that's well. It, it, that's. A, I think we have to acknowledge. We you know we've we've we have to acknowledge this piece of the story because, you know, I think we can often read this and be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Like, of course, it just you know it, the child was fine. He was in this yeah. little boat and it just. Floated down this little creek. Sometimes you can to, be so familiar with the story, it takes all the right reminder. This is the Nile. Like, this is the <laughs> largest river in yeah. that part of the world, and there are crocodiles. There are crocodiles. There are, you know, I don't know about your you because you're way older than me, but my generation <laughs> grew up on. I watched. I remember watching in my grandmother's basement the Prince of Egypt, which mm. of course has got you know this is not is not an accurate depiction, but what thing that always sticks by me is the image of the mother singing and, and weeping as as the child leaves mm-hmm. and just praying for it as it goes. Mm-hmm. And then it goes out into this chaotic river where there's animals and, mm-hmm. and merchant boats. Because remember, the Nile would have been... The, I mean, they built civilizations on rivers because that's how they got up and down. And just the oars are going by and it's deep river with all these creatures. And out of that, it mm-hmm. finds Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, of all people. And it just, you know, of course... If you if you know the, your Bibles well and understand the biblical theology and the the, the 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 it's all connected, you know, as Greg pointed, an ark. You think of the ark and and all the chaos that was going on under the waters mm-hmm. during Noah while Noah's family sat safely in their boat mm-hmm. um, that was being carried over, mm-hmm. um, and then you leap forward to Jesus mm-hmm. and what he that this is a a type of our salvation that. Yeah. We have been brought through the waters, right? To be brought to Him. To and be water is uh, often, you know, throughout Scripture, a picture of 
chaos and of judgment. Right. So even Genesis 1 begins with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. The right. earth is formless and void. Mm-hmm. And then it's out of that chaos that God brings order and creates yeah. and separates the waters above from the waters below and the dry land from the waters. And so you have that picture of waters as judgment. That's clear in the flood narrative. God judges the world. He destroys every living thing through water. Water is death when you're drowned by it. So Ryan, why do we baptize with water? (laughs) And by immersion. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, there's a picture of um, being buried in the water of judgment. That's right. And an acknowledgement I, in my sin, mm-hmm. deserve death. Yes. And I am by faith united to Christ who died in my place. And so I'm buried with him by baptism, and as Paul says. And then I'm raised, raised. with Christ yes. to newness of life. So you come up out of the waters of baptism, mm-hmm. joined to Christ, buried with him, raised with him. You leave your old self, your mm-hmm. sin self, in the grave. Mm-hmm. And you come out of the grave in newness of life yeah. to, to walk by faith. So it's a powerful picture. You know, Moses thrown into the waters of judgment, um, death awaits him, Mm -hmm. and yet he's delivered. And his name, because I drew him out of the water. Yeah, That's going to be, as Moses grows, and as he becomes who he, God had providentially sought, planned for him to be, to Mm -hmm. be the leader of his nation, who he will draw out of the water of judgment. And with him. All of God's people. All of God's people. They will go through a baptism. Yeah. They will go through the Red Sea. Yeah. They will be from slavery into a new nation. Now, of course, this is all just what we call typology. It's all types of it. Yeah. Because of course, when they get to the other side of the Jordan of the of the Red Sea, yeah. they also build <laughs> a, calf. Yeah. <laughs> a golden cap. But, it, but. It, it, it's so <clears throat> helpful to have those types and the the, the yeah. pictures to understand our salvation. Yeah. That this is this is what God has done for us, delivered us, drawn us. Out of the water, he's mm. not left us to die. Um, I'm preaching this coming Sunday, mm. the, the next part of Exodus two, and I think the connection here, in my mind, having read ahead and, and looking at where we're going, mm. um, Moses begins to act in some saving, delivering ways when he's grown up. But first, we have Moses completely helpless as mm. a baby, and he himself is saved. Yes. And he is delivered. Um, before he acts in any kind of saving way, he is a recipient entirely by grace. That's right. He didn't do anything. He yeah. didn't lift he had, a finger he had no, to deliver himself from this edict. Yeah. God saved him. God preserved him. And and that's how God always works. Yes. First, he works toward us. He saves us. He delivers us. And then, by his grace, he works through us. Yeah. Um, that That's powerful to me. Well, we're at the end of our time, but um, application, response, mm. what, What's the, the appropriate faith response to what we see God revealing about himself? As he reveals he is faithful. Yeah. He is faithful to his purposes, to his people, to his promise, to work through humble, faithful efforts of his, his people. I mean, the, and what Greg drew our attention to is we, there's just such an immediate encouragement that in the midst of the darkest and direst of situations— God is faithful, mm. that he, he is not left us alone, um, that what's happening to me has not, is not happening outside of his, his sphere of authority or influence. Mm. And then, so that's, that's primary, but also secondary, as just we were just describing, I just find just immense joy in the saving acts of God. 
Because yeah. it immediately applies to my soul mm. and what God has done for me in a way Moses could only dream of, mm-hmm. um, that the people of God in slavery could only dream of, mm. that because of Jesus, everything's changed. That my salvation isn't just a temporal, physical, I'm no longer in danger, because I may still be in mm. danger. Mm. There's no promises of that, but God has saved me in Christ. And that, the, the salvation that Moses experiences through the humble acts of people that God brings about is just a, a, a picture of what we experience in such a deep, profound mm. way that unites us to one another in such a way that we want to give our lives to one another because hey, you've experienced something similar. Mm. And now we belong to that people. We inherit this heritage of a God who saves because he saved us. Yeah. So appropriate affections that this should stir in us. Joy. Yes. Uh, hope. Humility. Confidence. I, I, it's just ringing in my ears, in my mind, um, that line from Hebrews 11 about Moses' parents. Uh, by faith, mm-hmm. they hid him for three months. They saw he was no ordinary child, I think is the ESV or the NIV translation. Um, and they did not fear the king's edict. It mm-hmm. just, that's incredible. Yeah. When, when that, this is your God, when you become convinced this is who God is, he is faithful to us, um, it creates a fearlessness, mm-hmm. which means the people of God in difficult times don't need to wring their hands in anxious, fearful, um, you know, cowardice. We can just be confident. God is doing what he's doing. And no matter how other people, rulers, powerful people plot against God, they are going to be thwarted. They can't stop God from doing what he's going to do. Yeah. Just such hope. God presents himself over and over again in the Old Testament and in the New throughout the whole scripture to in word and in deed. He says to you, think of like Psalm 23, yeah. think of all the, fear not, I am with, I'm you. with you. My right hand comforts you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will keep your steps. I will keep your steps. Today. He, he tells us that. And then here in Exodus and in countless other places, we see it. Mm-hmm. So what it engenders in us is when I, when I experience fruit in my life that is Anxiety, fear, terror, fill in the blank. I can I can say to myself by faith, mm. I need not fear mm. because of who God is yeah. and because of what He's said and because of what He's done. Yeah. And so that that is that's 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 a balm on yeah. a wound of, yeah. and of it, fear. And it makes the steps, the humble, faithful efforts, then mm. um, courageous efforts. Yeah. They they really aren't about making a name for ourselves mm-hmm. and, and they're not fueled by anger and bitterness at, yes. at those who are oppressing or those yeah. who are in the wrong. It's all fueled by confidence in God. Yeah. He's our God. So we trust. And, and so we take these steps that are courageous, but, but it's not, you know, trying to fire something up from within because if people want to stick it to the man, right. like, you know, Greg was talking about, it's, we trust the Lord. So we're going to be faithful to him. How could we do anything? And it's else? a discernible, free, Joy, yeah, and I think we all know those people in our lives that just have this joy, just have this freedom. Not, it, it's not because of just ignorance to life and its mm-hmm. ups and downs, but because because of faith. By faith, I need not be buried in fear and anxiety, and that just has such an effect on. So, kind of like phrase, a non-anxious presence. Yes, th- those people, those people that just tend to bring up. 
a joy about that, that lightens the load. Um, and so as we care for one another in gospel community, that, you know, is that happening? Mm-hmm. And, and who, who are those people? Because they, they have an effect on each other. So that's how we can love and care yeah. for one another. And you cultivate it by beholding God. Yes. You look at Him, who He is. Mm-hmm. Amen. This is good. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> My pleasure, buddy. I'll be back again next week. Yes.